Chapter 7, Part 2 of Damien by Herman Hesse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter 7, Mother Eve, Part 2. We who bore the sign were probably justly considered by the world as peculiar, yes, mad even, and dangerous. For we were awake, or were waking, and our endeavor was to be more and more completely awake, whereas the others strove to be happy, attaching themselves to the herd, the opinions and ideals of which they made their own, taking up the same duties, making their life and happiness depend on common interests. True, there was a certain greatness, a vigorousness, in their endeavor. But whereas, from our point of view, we who bore the sign carried out the will of nature as individuals and as men of the future, the others persisted in a stubbornness which hindered all progress. For them, mankind, which they loved just as we did, was something already complete, which must be maintained and protected. For us, mankind was a distant future to which we were all on the way. No one could imagine this future, neither did its laws stand written in any book. Besides Mother Eve, Max, and myself, there belonged to our circle, in a greater or lesser degree of intimacy, many seekers of very various sorts. Many of them were going along their own special paths, had set up special aims, and adhered to special opinions and duties. Amongst these were astrologers and cabalists, also an adherent of Count Tolstoy, and all kinds of tender, timid, sensitive people, followers of new sects, men who practiced Indian cults, vegetarians, and others. With all these, we had really nothing of a spiritual nature in common, except the esteem which each accorded the secret life dream of the other. Some were in closer contact with us, such as those who traced the searchings of mankind after gods and new ideals in the past, and whose studies often reminded me of my friend Pistorius. They brought books with them, translated for us texts from ancient tongues, and showed us illustrations of ancient symbols and rites. They taught us to see how all the ideals of mankind up to the present have their origin in dreams of the subconscious soul, dreams in which humanity is, as it were, feeling its way forward into the future, guided by premonitions of the future's potentialities. So we went through the religious history of the ancient world with its thousand gods to the dawn of Christianity. The confessions of the isolated saints were known to us, and the changes of religion from race to race, and from all the knowledge we thus acquired resulted a criticism of our era and of present-day Europe, of this continent which through enormous exertions had created powerful new weapons for humanity only to fall finally into a deep spiritual devastation the effects of which were at last being felt for it had gained the whole world only to lose its own soul there were with us believers as well advocates of doctrines of salvation in the efficacy of which they were very hopeful there were Buddhists who wished to convert Europe, and disciples of Tolstoy and of other confessions. We in our narrow circle listened, but accepted none of these doctrines, except as symbols. We who bore the sign had no cares as regarded the formation of the future. 
to us every confession every doctrine of salvation appeared in advance dead and useless our whole duty our destiny was we felt to attain to self-realization in order that in us nature might find scope for its full activities and that the unknown future might find us ready to fill any role which should be allotted us whether we expressed our opinion in so many words or not it was clear to all of us that a break-up of the present-day world was approaching to be followed by a new birth damien said to me on more than one occasion what will come is beyond conception the soul of europe is an animal which has been chained up for an immeasurably long period when it is set free its first movements will not display much amiability but the way it will take whether direct or indirect is not of importance provided that the soul's true need is realized this soul which has been deluded and dulled for so long then our day will come then we shall be needed not as guides or new lawgivers we shall not live to see the new laws but rather as volunteers as those who are ready to follow and to stand wherever fate shall call us look all men are ready to perform the incredible when their ideals are threatened but no one comes forward when a new ideal a new perhaps dangerous and uncanny impulse of spiritual growth declares itself we shall be of those few who are there ready to go forward for that purpose have we been singled out just as cain was marked with the sign to inspire fear and hate to drive the men of his time out of a narrow idyllic existence into the broad pastures of a greater destiny all men whose influence has affected the march of humanity all such without differentiation owe their capabilities and their efficacy to the fact that they were ready to do the bidding of destiny that applies to napoleon and bismarck the immediate purpose to which they direct their energies does not lie within their choice if bismarck had understood the social democrats and had thrown in his lot with them he would have been a prudent fellow but he would never have been the instrument of fate the same applies to napoleon to caesar to loyola to all of them one must always look at such things from the point of view of biology and evolution when the changes which took place in the earth's surface transferred to the land animals which lived in water and vice versa then those specimens which were ready to fulfill their functions as instruments of fate brought new and unheard of things to pass and were able through new adaptations to save their kind whether these specimens were the same that had previously been conservatives and preservers of the status quo or the eccentrics and revolutionaries is not known they were ready to be used by fate and for that reason were able to help their race through a new stage of evolution that we do know for that reason we want to be ready mother eve was often present when such conversations took place but she did not join in for each of us who chose to express his thoughts she was as it were a listener and an echo full of confidence full of understanding it appeared as if our ideas all emanated from her and returned to her again my happiness consisted in sitting near her in hearing her voice from time to time and in participating in that atmosphere of maturity and of the soul which surrounded her 
she felt immediately when a change was taking place in me when my soul was troubled or when a renewal was in progress it seemed to me as if the dreams i had in my sleep were inspired by her i often related them to her she found them quite comprehensible and natural there were no peculiarities which she could not follow clearly for a time i had dreams which were like reproductions of the day's conversation i dreamed that the whole world was in revolt and that i alone or with damien tensely waited the signal of fate fate remained half concealed but bore somehow or other the traits of mother eve to be chosen or rejected by her that was fate sometimes she said with a smile your dream is not complete sinclair you have forgotten the best part and it sometimes happened that i recalled it then and i could not understand how i had come to forget any of it at times i was discontented and was tormented by desire i thought i could not bear to see her near me any longer without taking her in my arms she noticed that immediately once when i had stayed away for several days and had returned distraught she took me aside and said you should not give yourself up to wishes in which you do not believe i know what you wish you must give up these desires or else surrender yourself to them completely if one day you are able to ask convinced that your wishes will be fulfilled then you will find satisfaction but you wish and repent again and are afraid you must overcome all that i will tell you a fairy tale and she told me of a youth who was in love with a star he stood on the seashore stretched out his hands and prayed to the star he dreamed of it and all his thoughts were of it but he knew or thought he knew that a star could not be embraced by a man he held it to be his fate to love a star without hope of fulfillment and he created from this thought a whole life poem about renunciation and mute faithful suffering which should better him and purify him but his dreams all went up to the star once again he stood at night by the seashore on a high cliff he gazed at the star and his love for it flamed up within him and in a moment of great longing he made a spring throwing himself into space to meet the star but at the moment of leaping the thought flashed through his mind it is impossible and so he was dashed to pieces on the rocks below he did not know how to love had he had the strength of soul at the moment of leaping to believe in the fulfillment of his wish he would have flown up and have been united with that star love must not beg she said nor demand either love must have the force to be absolutely certain of itself then it is attracted no longer but attracts sinclair i am attracting your love as soon as you attract my love i shall come i do not want to make a present of myself i want to be one on a later occasion she told me another fairy story there was a lover who loved without hope of success he withdrew entirely into himself and thought his love would consume him 
the world was lost to him he saw the blue sky and the green wood no longer he did not hear the murmuring of the stream or the notes of the harp all that meant nothing to him and he became poor and miserable but his love grew and he would much rather have died and have made an end of it all than renounce the chance of possessing the beautiful woman whom he loved then he suddenly felt that his love had consumed everything else in him it became powerful and exercised an irresistible attraction the beautiful woman had to follow she came and he stood with outstretched arms to draw her to him but as she stood before him she was completely transformed and with a thrill he felt and saw that he had drawn into his embrace the whole world which he had lost she stood before him and surrendered herself to him sky and wood and brook all was decked out in lovely new colors all belonged to him and spoke his tongue and instead of merely winning a woman he had taken the whole world to his heart and each star in the heaven glowed in him and twinkling communicated desire to his soul he had loved and thereby had found himself but most people love only to lose themselves thereby my whole life seemed to be contained in my love for mother eve but every day she looked different many times i felt decidedly that it was not her person for which my whole being was striving but that she was a symbol of my inward self and that she wished only to lead me to see more deeply into myself i often heard words fall from her lips which sounded like answers to the burning questions asked by my subconscious self then again there were moments when in her presence i burnt with desire and afterwards kissed objects she had touched and by degrees sensual and unsensual love reality and symbol merged into one another then it happened that i could think of her at home in my room with quiet fervor i thought i felt her hand in mine and my lips pressed to hers or i was at her house gazing up into her face talking with her listening to her voice and i did not know whether it was really she or whether it was a dream i began to foresee how one can have a lasting and immortal love in reading a book i had acquired new knowledge and it was the same feeling as a kiss from mother eve she stroked my hair and smiled at me i sensed the perfume of her warm ripe mouth and i had the same feeling as if i had been making progress within myself all that was important and fateful for me seemed to be contained in her she could transform herself into each of my thoughts and every one of my thoughts was transformed into her i feared that it would be torture to spend the two weeks of the christmas holidays separated from mother eve with my parents at home but it was no torture it was lovely to be at home and to think of her when i returned to h i remained away from her house another two days in order to enjoy the security and independence of her actual presence i also had dreams in which my union with her was accomplished by way of allegory she was a sea into which i a river flowed she was a star and i myself was a star on my way to her we felt drawn to one another 
we met and remained together always turning blissfully round one another in close-lying orbits to the music of the spheres i related this dream to her when i visited her again after the holidays it's a beautiful dream she said softly see that it comes true there came a day in early spring that i shall never forget i entered the hall a window stood open, and the heavy scent of hyacinths, wafted by a warm breath of air, permeated the room. As no one was to be seen, I went upstairs to Max Damien's study. I knocked softly on the door and entered without waiting for permission, as I was in the habit of doing with him. The room was dark. The curtains were all drawn. The door to the little room adjoining stood open, where Max had set up a chemical laboratory. From there came the bright white light of the spring sun shining through rain clouds. I thought no one was there and pulled back one of the curtains. There I saw Max Damien sitting on a stool by a curtained window. His attitude was cramped and he was oddly changed. The thought flashed through me. You have seen him like this once before. His arms were motionless at his side, his hands in his lap, his face inclined slightly forward with open eyes, was without sight, as if dead. In the eyes there glimmered dully a little reflex of light, as in a piece of glass. The pale face was self-absorbed and without any expression, save that of great rigidity. He looked like a very ancient mask of an animal at the door of a temple. He appeared not to be breathing. The recollection came to me, Thus, exactly thus, had I once seen him many years ago, when I was still quite a boy. Thus had his eyes stared inwards, thus his hands had been lying motionless, close to one another, a fly had been crawling over his face, and he had then, six years ago perhaps, looked just as old and as ageless, not a wrinkle in his face had changed. I was frightened and went softly out of the room and down the stairs. In the hall I met Mother Eve. She was pale and seemed tired. I had not seen her like that before. A shadow came through the window. The bright white sun had suddenly disappeared. I went into Max's room, I whispered hastily. Has anything happened? He is asleep or absorbed, I don't know what. I once saw him like that before. But you didn't wake him, she asked quickly. No, he did not hear me. I came out immediately. Mother Eve, tell me what is the matter with him. She passed her hand over her forehead. Don't worry, Sinclair. Nothing has happened to him. He has retired into himself. It will not last long. She got up and went out into the garden, although it had begun to rain. I felt that I must not follow her. So I walked up and down in the hall, inhaling the scent of the hyacinths, which dulled my senses, and gazing at my picture of the bird over the door, I felt oppressively the odd shadow which seemed to fill the house that morning. What was it? What had happened? Mother Eve came back soon. Raindrops hung in her dark hair. She sat down in her easy chair. She was very tired. I went to her, bent down and kissed the raindrops in her hair. Her eyes were bright and soft, but the raindrops tasted like tears. "'Shall I go and see how he is?' I asked in a whisper. She smiled weakly. "'Don't be a child, Sinclair,' she admonished loudly, as if to relieve her own feelings. 
Go now and come back later. I cannot talk to you now. I went. I walked out of the house and out of the town towards the mountains. The thin rain was falling obliquely. The clouds were driving at a low altitude under heavy pressure as if in fear. Down below there was hardly any breeze, but on the heights above a storm seemed to be raging. Several times the sun, pale and bright, broke for an instant through the steely gray of the clouds. There came a fleecy yellow cloud driving across the sky. It collided with the gray cloud wall, and in a few seconds the wind formed a picture of the yellow and blue of a bird of giant size, which tore itself free from the blue melee and with wide fluttering wings disappeared in the sky. Then the storm became audible, and rain mixed with hail rattled down. A short burst of thunder with an unnatural and terrific sound cracked over the whipped landscape. Immediately after, the sun broke through, and on the mountains close at hand, above brown woods, glistened pale and unreal, the fresh snow. When I returned, after several hours, wet from the rain and wind, Damien himself opened the front door to me. He took me with him up to his room. A gas flame burned in the laboratory. Paper lay about. He appeared to have been working. Sit down, he invited. You must be tired. It was a terrible storm. It's evident you were overtaken by it. Tea is coming at once. Something is the matter today, I began hesitatingly. It can't only be that bit of a storm. He looked at me penetratingly. Have you seen anything? Yes, I saw a picture clearly in the clouds for an instant. What sort of a picture? It was a bird. The hawk, was it that? The bird of your dream? Yes, it was my hawk. It was yellow and of giant size. It flew up into the blue-black heaven. Damien took a deep breath. Someone knocked at the door. The aged servant brought in tea. Take a cup, Sinclair. Do. I don't think it was by chance you saw the bird. Chance? Does one see such things by chance? Well, no. It means something. Do you know what? No. I only feel it means a violent shock, the approach of fate. I think it will affect all of us. He walked violently up and down. The approach of fate, he exclaimed loudly. I dreamed the same thing myself last night, and my mother yesterday had a premonition portending the same thing. I dreamed I was going up a ladder, placed against a tree trunk or a tower. When I reached the top, I saw the whole country. It was a wide plain with towns and villages burning. I cannot yet relate everything because it isn't all quite clear to me. Do you interpret the dream as affecting you? I asked. Me? Naturally. No one dreams of what does not concern him. But it does not concern me alone. You are right. I distinguish tolerably well between the dreams which indicate agitation of my own soul and the others, the rare ones, which bear on the fate of all humanity. I have seldom had such dreams, and never one of which I can say that it was a prophecy and that it has been fulfilled. The interpretations are too uncertain. But this I know for a certainty. I have dreamed of something which does not concern me alone. For the dream belongs to others, former ones I have had. This is the continuation. These are the dreams, Sinclair, in which I had the premonitions which I have already mentioned to you. 
We know that the world is absolutely rotten, but that is no reason to prophesy its ruin or to make a prophecy of a like nature. But for several years past I have had dreams from which I conclude or feel or what you will, which then give me the feeling that the breakup of an old world is drawing near. At first they were simply faint presentiments, but since they have become more and more significant. Even now I know nothing more than that something big and terrible is approaching which will concern me. Sinclair, we shall go through the experiences of which we have so often talked. The world is about to renew itself. It smacks of death. Nothing new comes without death. It is more terrible than I had thought. Frightened, I looked at him fixedly. Can't you tell me the rest of your dream? I begged timidly. He shook his head. No. The door opened, and Mother Eve entered. There you are, sitting together. Children, I hope you aren't sad. She looked fresh. Her fatigue had quite vanished. Damien smiled at her. She came to us as a mother comes to frightened children. We aren't sad, Mother. We were simply trying to solve the riddle of these new signs. But that is of no importance. What is to come will be here all of a sudden, and then we shall learn what we need to know. But I did not feel happy. When I said goodbye and went down alone through the hall, I felt that the hyacinths were faded and withered, reminding me of corpses. A shadow had fallen over us. End of chapter 7 Mother Eve